So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, uh, please open up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Today is a, um, I don't know, it's a bittersweet day, I think. Um, We have several visitors this morning, which is always exciting to see. We had our first service um, for Redemption Hill October 6th. 2013. And we've been journeying through the gospel of John verse by verse. And this week, we conclude that journey. And so for some 15 months, we've been working and walking through this book. And um, I can't promise you every book that we look at will take us 15 months. And some of you guys are saying, yes, thank you. Praise Jesus. (laughs) Oh. In fact, uh, next week we're going to start in another book. And, I, and the way in which I teach is expository, meaning we go through a book of the Bible and we just look at it verse by verse. Um, I view our Christian journey, I view our faith family as one um, that's more on a marathon than a sprint. And so with that in mind, there's no reason for us to sprint through certain things. And so we ought to give as much due diligence as possible. The reality is, even in the Gospel of John, with us taking 15 months to go through 21 chapters, we still, I still fall miserably short of what the Holy Spirit um, has in that book for us. So we still can't get all of it, but we're going to do our best to try and dig through stuff. And so um, next week, we are going to go to the Old Testament. Okay? We're going to go to the book of Habakkuk. Sound good? Okay, here's the good news. There's only three chapters. <laughs> so it should only take us six months. No, just kidding. Uh, we're going to try and go through it a little bit quicker. But um, I picked a shorter book on purpose so you guys wouldn't get too tired of me, at least. Um, and so, but today we're in the Gospel of John, the last chapter, the last few verses. And this is one of my um, most favorite passages, at least in the Gospel of John deals with um, mainly with two different um, characters. Jesus is front and center, and, and with us at our church, we do our best to try and maintain Jesus at the center of everything. And here he is in this story, the center of this story, and he's got one other person that he's dealing with mainly, <clears throat> and that's Peter. And I want us to before we read this, I want us to try and go back on our minds a little bit and think through Peter and remember some of the faults of Peter. Uh, you guys remember when the disciples are in the boat and a storm rises, Jesus isn't there, and then he begins to walk on the water. You guys remember that story? Right, and there's Peter's in the boat, and Peter sees Jesus, and there's a storm and everything going on, but he sees Jesus, he sees Jesus walking on the water, and what does Peter want to do? He wants to go out there and join him. He wants to walk on the water with, with Jesus, which is commendable. And so he takes, and Jesus, he asks Jesus, Jesus says, come on, probably in Greek, and Peter gets out of that boat and begins to walk. And a few steps is good, and then Peter realizes there's a storm going on. 
There's waves, there's wind, there's rain. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. Right? That's Peter. Like that, that story, maybe better than almost any story, kind of captures who Peter was at this point in his ministry. And folks, if you're like me, that speaks a lot of who and what I am. Like when things are great, I can walk on the water. But when I take a moment to stop and look at what's going on around me, I can very easily take my eyes off of Jesus and begin to sink. Peter, uh, if we remember going into John chapter 13 at the, the Last Supper, remember that story in, in Jesus goes and he talks about how there's someone there that's going to betray him, talking about Jesus, Judas. And later after that, he talks about Peter denying him. If you read the same account in Matthew, um, Jesus, or Peter makes the, the kind of the bold statement like, yeah, like all these other guys in the room, like they'll turn their back on you, but not me. Like I won't, I will be faithful to the point where I am willing to die for you. And a few Short hours later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's Peter and the other disciples. Jesus praying. Jesus takes his inner three. Peter, James, and John asked him to come a little bit further up the path with them. And, and he, he's bearing his soul to them. And he's heavily disturbed. And he says, guys, I need you to pray for me. And he goes up a little bit further, and three times he goes back. And what is Peter and the rest of the gang doing? They're sleeping. Finally, Judas arrives on scene with this Roman cohort, with 600 Roman soldiers there to arrest Jesus. And Peter, with his passion, he, he said, I would die for you, right? And Peter's the one that whips out the little dagger, cuts off the ear of Malchus, the messenger of the high priest. That's Peter. That's the passion and zeal of Peter, right? Only after Jesus heals Malchus and gives himself up to be arrested, then they all run and hide. Not just Peter, all of them. And we know the story that Peter remains somewhat close, nearby Jesus, to kind of observe what's going on. Jesus goes through this kangaroo of sorts of court in which they ultimately find him not guilty of nothing, but they sentence him to death on a cross. And in that, over that time period, Peter will deny Christ three times. He'll do exactly what he swore he would never do. And that moment when Jesus, his closest friend, the one he had given up everything to follow that needed him the most, Peter will turn his back on him three times. That's Peter. I think most of us in our lives have done something similar, haven't we? We've disappointed family. We've disappointed friends. We swore we would do something only to fail to do it. Most of us in our own Christian journey, our own faith walk, know that we've done something that fails Jesus. And we all know that feeling that when we wake up and we realize 
what we've done and how hurtful that is and how empty we begin to feel. And so you have Judas, or you have Peter, this man of, of great passion, of great zeal, who's done all these things, and his passion got in the way. And here he is, dejected, bothered, depressed. We know, thankfully, the outcome that, that Jesus doesn't stay in a tomb, does he? Praise God. We have relics like a cross up here. But unlike some other faiths, there's no Jesus on our cross. Right? He's not hanging there anymore. He's not in a tomb anymore. He conquered death. He came back to life. He's risen. He's living. He's in heaven. But things changed. This journey that the disciples were on, like they'd been with Jesus like 24-7 for like three and a half years. They had full and complete access to him. It was sitting across the table. They would talk. They would laugh. They would cry. They had any questions they could ask him. But that's not what happened after Christ came back from the dead. Last week, as we began this chapter 21, the last verse that we read, verse 14 of John chapter 21, said, this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples. We don't exactly know when this story took place, but this is several weeks after he had come back to life, after he had risen and conquered death. He had given, in Matthew, he had given the disciples orders that they were to go to Galilee and go into the mountains and wait for him there. And last week we said, Peter didn't do that. He went, and again, Jesus wasn't working on his time frame. So he gets the guys and they go fishing. So that's where we are today. So John chapter 21. Join me as I read verses 15 through the end of the chapter. So John 21. It says this, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17 says, and he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what kind of death He was to glorify God. And after that saying, he said to him, follow me. And Peter saw, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, following them. The one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. If it is my will that he remain until I come, that is, what is that to you? Verse 24 says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now these are so many other, or now there are so also so many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning, as we look at this amazing, gracious account between you and Peter, Lord, may you use this in all of our lives. All of us, God, have been in that same spot where Peter was. Lord, I pray that you refresh us this morning, that you send us out of here renewed. I pray that, that this, maybe this fireside chat that Peter had with you, may we put ourselves in that spot in that position. May we humble ourselves to you this morning. May you reveal things in our lives that we need to get out so we can follow you. God, I'm begging you today for life change in me and everyone else here. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're about to do in your son's beautiful name. Amen. And so we have this account, and for many of us, this is a familiar account. Jesus sees Peter. If you remember last week, the disciples are in this boat fishing, and they, fought, they had fished all night long, all night long, and caught nothing. Now, if that were me, that would probably be a normal thing. Okay, because I'm still the guy that doesn't like to put worm on a hook. But these disciples, most of these disciples were trained professional fishermen. In fact, Peter was a very well-known fisherman. Peter had left his family business. He'd grown up fishing. He knew the trade. He had all the things needed to fish. The worms and the bobber and everything. He had all the tools but they fished all night long and caught nothing. Jesus is along the shore early morning and tells the guys, ask them, have you caught anything? No, no, no. Cast the net on the other side of the boat. They did, and the Bible tells us they caught 153 fish in one swoop. They come, and once John realizes that that was Jesus on the shore, he says something to Peter. Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus. Finds Jesus there. He's got a charcoal fire. If you remember last week, I told you, the last time we see a charcoal fire in the Gospel of John is when, Jesus, or when Peter denied Christ for the third time. It was at that time, when we read in that scripture, he denied him the third time that Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And they made eye-to-eye contact. Could you imagine what went through Peter 
as he uttered those words, and then he looked and he saw Jesus, and he realized what he had done. So here he is, the Savior's back, he swims across the water, they find him, and there, there's a charcoal fire, and Jesus has fish and, and bread already on the fire, he invites the disciples to come eat breakfast with him, they have, he gives them the opportunity to bring their fish to add to what he has there, and as they get done eating, Jesus turns to Peter. There's a few things I find interesting in this um, particular passage. If you notice here, um, Jesus refers to him as Simon, son of John. His birth name. Who or where do we get Peter from? How did Peter turn from Simon to Peter? Who gave him that name? It was Jesus, right? And Peter, that word Peter meant rock. And at this particular passage, this particular time of life for Peter, Peter is not a rock. He's a pebble at best. And so Jesus turns back the clock. And he turns to him and says, Simon, son of John. And in that, he asked him three questions that sound very similar, don't they? It's the same repeated question to us. Our language um, is different than the language that the Old Testament and New Testament were written in. The New Testament was written in Greek. When we look at Greek for that word love, we have basically one word for love. right? Like I can say, I love my wife, and I can say, I love ice cream. Hopefully, there are two different types of love. If you ask Courtney, she would probably debate you on my language, right? Ice cream, then wipe. No, just kidding. No, that's not scriptural. But, right, but, but in our language, like, love is a very broad word, isn't it? It covers a lot of things. But in the Greek language, they had specific words for different types of love. And there was basically three forms of, of, or three words that were used for different types of love. Now, one was eros, um, which was an intimate, a romantic type of love. Second was phileo. Um, We have the city Philadelphia, which gets its name from phileo. And what is Philadelphia known as? The city of brotherly love, right? And so phileo was this um, close, warm friendship. So it wasn't like just we're buddies, but no, it was close. It was like family, deep friendship. And then you have agape, this third type of love, agape. And agape was this all-encompassing love, um, a love at its fullest, a love that gives without expecting anything in return. Agape is John 3.16 love. When the Bible says, for God so loved, loved, agape, God so, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's agape love. So when we look at this particular fireside chat, we have Peter sitting near Jesus. And Jesus, at least initially, It's all the disciples that are there. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, do you agape love me? Full, 
absolute, like above everything else, do you love me? Um, In verse 15, more than these. We don't know what these is. Um, It could be that he looks around and he sees the fishing boat, the net, and the fish, and, and he says, listen, do you love me more than these? I mean, do you love me more than your family business? Because in, in those moments, you keep, you keep drifting back. When I need you, you're, you're falling. I mean, do you love me more than these things? It's possible. It's quite possible that Jesus, when he says, do you love me more than these, he turns and points his finger at the other disciples. Almost as if to reference back to the Last Supper when Peter said, they may fall, they, they will give up on you, but I will never so we don't exactly know what these is. But he turned, Jesus turns to him and says, do you agape love me more than these? And Peter's response to him is he says, yes, Lord, you know that I, phileo, love you. Like warm, kindred, close, best of friends love you. Different loves. So Jesus then responds and says, feed my lambs. And I don't know how much time transpires, but then Jesus turns to Peter a second time. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Fullest love. Nothing else more important to you than me kind of love. And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I, phileo, love you. And Jesus says, then tend my sheep. Slightly different than feed. Feed is just giving the food. Tending is going and caring for. Beyond just feeding, caring for. And then we have this third question by Jesus. Verse 17 says, And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you, phileo, love me? And notice the response of Peter. It says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you, phileo, love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, phileo, love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There's a lot of different lessons I think we can learn in this passage. Some of us will sit back and we'll look at this passage and we'll fault Peter for falling short in what he's willing to do, what he's willing to say to God. One of the things I'd like for us to consider here is this. We see a broken, beaten down Peter. A Peter who a few days ago, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, would have pounded his chest and bragged about how much he loved him and how much he'd be willing to do for him and be willing to stand for him. But here we see a broken Peter. See, Jesus in this, alter, in this interaction never denies P- 
Peter's faults, never minimalizes Peter's faults. But Jesus comes down to where Peter is. Can you guys imagine this interaction? I mean, think about this. It's early morning. They're, they're, they're along the beach. You can hear the waves lapping. You can hear the fire cracking, and the smell of the fish and the bread's probably still in the air. And Jesus turns to this broken man and begins to tend to him. And says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, yes, 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 you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Love me. Yes, God, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, you know everything. You know I'm going to fail again. You know all my failures. I love you. It's one of the things I love about Scripture, guys. Sometimes we can, in our own minds, paint these pictures of perfection. We desperately try to create an environment of transparency and a feeling of being authentic. Um, We talk about family every week. We shouldn't come to church having to put on fancy clothes in a way in which we're trying to hide the reality of our lives. Now, we don't need to bear everything in front of everyone. But the reality is this. We are all sinners. We all fail numerous times in a day, let alone a week, month, year, or whatever. And so often we try and fake this thing out as if nothing's wrong with us. You guys realize that's pride? It's pride in our own lives. We don't want anybody to see any of our cracks. We want everyone to think everything's perfect. We want everyone to think like our marriage is amazing and wonderful and we don't ever have problems. Um, Like if they ever did a, a... one of those real shows where they followed a camera around your pastor, you guys would be ashamed sometimes. I'm going to be honest with you all. Like if you saw like me and Courtney, like you'd realize like, oh wow, they actually argued? Like, oh, I just thought everything was perfect. Like their kids actually act up. They actually get mad at their children. They, they do things wrong. You mean our pastor speeds? Not very often. Not as much as his wife does, but... <laughs> She's downstairs. <laughs> the reality is we all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all fall short. And here you have this interaction between Jesus. And I love how he goes to the broken man and begins to build him up and restore him. Along this conversation, I, I, I guess, when they began talking together with the whole group, I don't know if the rest of the disciples got a little uncomfortable. They began to walk away or what, but at some point it seems as if it turns into it's just this intimate conversation between Jesus and Peter. 
And this is what's amazing to me as they talk through this thing. After this interaction, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. This is as much as I think I can give you. This is me being honest and real. This is where I'm at. But yes, you know I love you. They begin to walk, and um, Jesus shares a few things with Peter. He says, verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus reveals to Peter as they're walking, um, listen, um, because of what you're going to do, because of what you've done, because of your faith in me and the ways in which you'll be used, you're going to die a similar death that I died. When he talks about your hands stretched out, he was alluding to the fact that one day Peter himself would be crucified like Jesus was crucified. Um, history tells us different things. Um, Tertullian in 3rd century was the one that first documented this idea of Peter being crucified. Later on we have different traditions that say that Peter, when he um, was brought before the council and told he was going to be crucified, asked not to be crucified the normal way, but asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy of being crucified like Christ. I, I can't verify if that's true or not. But history does tell us that Peter himself was going to be crucified. And I don't know at that point if, if maybe that made Peter feel better. That even though I've messed up, even though I've screwed up, even though I've done things that I'm ashamed of, even though I feel like I can't do anything more, that, that, that my, my ministry, that, that, that my testimony, that, that everything I believe and done is just ruined and no one's going to look at me right anymore. But one day, Peter, I'm, I'm, Peter's going to die like me, like Jesus. And Jesus, after saying that, said to him, follow me. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to highlight, underline, circle those two simple words, follow me. This scene's not all that different than when Jesus and Peter first met. Uh, Peter and, the, and, and his brothers were out fishing at a similar circumstance. They fished all night, caught nothing, and Jesus tells them to throw the net in there and boom, catch a bunch of fish, tears the net, boom. Jesus tells them, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter and his brother, it says they left everything. Left mom and dad, left the family business, left the wealth, everything. They left and followed Jesus. Three and a half years later, a broken Peter is told the same thing. Follow me. It's interesting, if you, again, if you have your Bibles, why don't you flip back over to, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57 through 62. It's uh, amazing sometimes we look at those simple words, follow me. 
Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But you know, Jesus, when he said to Peter, follow me, he didn't say to him, listen, if you have enough time on Sunday mornings, why don't you go show up for church? Or hey, um, if by chance you can squeeze five minutes in this morning, can you maybe read a verse or two and pray over it? But when Jesus said, follow me, Jesus was asking for everything. Luke uh, 9, verse 57 says this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay, so first guy says, hey, I'll follow you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, listen, foxes have holes to sleep in. Birds have nests to sleep in. You follow me, there's going to be no place for you to lay your head at. No home. Uh, to, another, he, um, he said, uh, to another he said, follow me. But he said, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those back at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We read a passage like this and we think, Man, how, how cold is Jesus? He, he's telling, Man, you got someone who just passed away. Like, don't go to the funeral. Like, you just leave it alone. You go do this. I mean, you can be homeless for the rest of your life. You're going to do, Jesus sounds kind of cold there, doesn't he? What Jesus is saying is, um, if those things are more important to you, that last passage there, he, he talks about the plow and working and us going in a direction and us being willing to follow and say, We're gonna, I'm going to follow you. But if I'm plowing, but I keep looking back, um, the field's not going to look very pretty at the end, is it? More likely, you're going to have a bunch of rows that kind of do this thing. And Jesus is saying, it's like, if you're going to follow me, follow me. Don't look back. You press forward. Be willing to give up everything. Everything for me. Don't look back. In that moment, when he's talking with Peter, and he says, follow me. Think about comforting that thought must have been to him, to Peter, the one who kept failing. And Jesus is saying, Peter, forget it. Don't look back. Don't ponder about it. Don't think about it. Move forward. Follow me. Follow me. You go a little bit further in Luke to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, verse 25 says, And now great crowds accompanied him as he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother, or his own father and mother, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether it is enough to complete it, otherwise... When he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to conquer another king at war will not sit down first and deliberate whether it's able with 10,000 to beat him who is against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You read that passage and gulp a little bit, don't we? And that's tough. That's hard. Like, that goes against everything culture today is telling us to do. Jesus wants everything. Is that because Jesus is some crazy lunatic that just wants all of us just to hoard it over our heads and push us down. I think the story of Peter proves otherwise. See, Jesus wants all of us for our own good and for his glory. We get ourselves in trouble when we take our eyes off of him. Again, Jesus is not proclaiming that you need to hate your mom and dad, hate your kids. He's not saying any of that. What he's saying is, your love for me should be so intense that it appears as if. He wants everything from Peter. When he says, follow me, what Jesus is saying is, follow me. Along this journey... Peter notices that someone's kind of following him. And it's John. And so after Jesus gives Peter the good news that he's going to be crucified one day, he turns back and says, well, what about this guy? And you know what's cool to me about that story? Is Jesus turns to Peter and says, my translation, Peter, don't worry about him. I've got plans for him. Worry about yourself. Do what I've called you to do. You follow me. And so often in our own walks, we play this game of comparison. Like one of two things happen when we start comparing things. Either we try and drag somebody down to our level to make us feel better about ourselves. Or... We look at how great somebody else is and think we're useless and can never be used. Nothing good comes from comparisons. And, G- and Peter says to Jesus, or Jesus says to Peter, listen, don't worry about him. If I decide he's not going to die, that's my business with me and him. But I've got a plan for you. You stick to what I've called you to do. I love this passage. Because we see this heart of Jesus. We see how Jesus will restore the broken. This morning, I don't know where you're at. There could be some that are here today that feel like they've at great depth. They feel like they've failed miserably. The marriage could be in shambles. They could be in financial ruin. They could be whatever it is, bombing 
at work, at school. I mean, the worst thing you can think of is happening in their lives. They feel like they, 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 they believe in Jesus, but they feel like they've screwed things up so much, I could never be used by him. This story tells us otherwise. There very well may be some this morning who are here. You've heard about Jesus, but you've never accepted him as your Savior. There's a fireside chat that needs to occur between you and him. See, we're all posed with one question that's integral in our life. And we all make a decision. We can't put it off. We all make a decision. We either accept Christ for who he is or we reject him. That's it. We either accept or reject. John 14, 6 tells us, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how popular you are. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. That's it. That's the only way. And so this morning, as we all have an opportunity to sit around that fire with Jesus, I believe in my heart of hearts we all have a chat that needs to occur. Some of us need to get rid of the guilt of things that we've done in the past, give them to him, and go back to following him. Some of us, for the first time, just need to follow him. Some of us need to quit playing games and realize what follow me means. That means everything. That You may be a lawyer, but you're a Christian first. You may be a father, a husband, but you're a Christian first. I don't know where you're at, but I hope this morning we can find peace in that conversation. You know, if you were to go back in your Bibles, I'm going to end with this. That rough and rugged Peter, that one who constantly seemed to be putting his foot in his mouth, the one who always seemed to get himself in trouble. Very end of 2 Peter, chapter 13. He writes this, the last sentence of that letter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's a different Peter, isn't it? That's a different Peter that beat his chest. That's a Peter that learned his lesson and would follow God. Let's pray. Lord, um, this morning... I'm just so overwhelmed with gratitude 
of what you've done for us, for me. God, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't just pick people, individuals that appeared to have everything going for them, that appeared to be perfect. God, I'm so glad that your scripture shows us the faults of people, even heroes. Peter, one that many of us claim as favorites because he's one that we can so easily relate with. Made so many mistakes. He thought before he spoke. He let his own passion and zeal cause him to make rash decisions. And most of those decisions he made out of pride. God, I, I just, I see this scene of the two of you just sitting down at this charcoal fire. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, I, I love you. No, I mean, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. Do you love me? God, you know everything. You know all of our faults. You know all of our strengths. You know what we're going to do today and tomorrow. But you love us. And you've asked all of us, despite all of our garbage, to follow you doesn't mean it's going to be easy. doesn't mean it's going to be safe. Yeah, there'll be moments of laughter, but there's going to be a lot of tears, a lot of brokenness. But God, you loved us so much. And that while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, you sent your son your only son to die on the cross for our sins so that if we believe and accept him as our Lord, our Savior, we have total access to you on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Lord, this morning I'm convinced we all, I mean myself included, need to sit down and have a little fireside chat with you. Many of us have wandered. I've wandered, God. And I can complicate my schedule with so many things that at the end of the day, I give you table scraps at best. God, change me. Change me. Change us. And God, as we're about to sing, draw us close to you. Holy Spirit, if there's some this morning that have never accepted you as their Savior, God, I beg and plead with you that today is the day 
Give them the strength and the courage to respond. Holy Spirit, do a great work. Help every one of us, young and old, to leave changed, to leave restored like Peter left. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.